Uh, hey, Rob, what you doing? Oh, I'm just ripping up TV legend Valerie Harper's contract for her NBC sitcom, Valerie. Valerie? Isn't that the show Valerie Harper stars on? Yep. And you're ripping it up. Uh-huh. How can you do a TV show called Valerie without Valerie? Great question, Ray. Come find out on this week's episode of This Was a Thing, which focuses on the infamous firing of Valerie Harper from her own TV show. And I'm Rob. And you're listening to This Was a Thing, the podcast that dives deep into the cultural happenings of yesteryear. On today's episode, we are looking at one of the most shocking firings in television history, the dismissal of Emmy Award-winning actress Valerie Harper off of her own sitcom called Valerie. Yes, they fired Valerie from Valerie. Now, this was a thing because it was one of the first times that a star was fired off of their own television show, and it laid the foundation for not only the firing of Roseanne from Roseanne, but one of the first times a national network told loyal audiences to fuck off (laughs) and sent a message to stars that didn't want to play by the network rules, saying, guess what, stars? No one is valuable. You're all replaceable. Ooh, that's kind of hot. But at a time when strong women were deemed impossible to work with, because that's why they fired Valerie, apparently, and strong men were renewed season after season, I'm looking at you, Mr. Cosby, did Valerie Harper need to be fired from her TV show, Valerie? Did you ever watch Valerie Ray? Uh, no, I, d- <gasps> I didn't even know about it, to be honest with oh you. Oh my gosh, well, I'm going to change your, your your view today, I hope. I think I know about uh, uh, the show, though, in general, because I think there was a cast member that I'm familiar with that was Jason on Jason Bateman? Yes. Yes, this is the show that put Jason Bateman on the map. Okay, so before we talk a little bit about Valerie, and by the way, full disclosure, the TV show Valerie is actually not a very good TV show, <laughs> but it's we're, we're, we're looking at a larger idea here, But we folks. love Valerie Harper. But we do love Valerie Harper. Now, before we begin, let's do a little look back on moments when the network and its stars butted some heads together. Honestly, most stars of TV shows were pretty good until the 1970s when stars began to realize how important their presence was to the success of a show. And that's best seen in the iconic sitcom All in the Family. So Carol O'Connor was the star of All in the Family. And if you remember, All in the Family was this big groundbreaking show from the 1970s. It was produced by the incomparable Norman Lear. It was a very political show. And that it was a show about a family, hence the title, All in the Family. So Carol O'Connor's character, Archie Bunker, was just one part of this family. But O'Connor felt that he deserved more money because he was really the star of the show. I wonder how that went down with the other cast members. Um, And he told Norman Lear in between uh, a season hiatus, he said, "Um, I'm not coming back till I get back pay 
and I get $64,000 more an episode. So, now this was a pretty big deal because the star of television's most iconic sitcom at the time is saying, I'm not coming back till you pay me more. Yeah. So he's kind of holding the entire production over a ledge. Now, Norman Lear was uh, no fool whatsoever and said, that's fine. He's like, you don't have to come back. In fact, the first two episodes we're going to do is called Where's Archie? And episode two is going to be called Archie's Missing. And if you don't come back for the third episode, it's going to be called Archie's Funeral. So what Lear said to them was... He Damn, go- Norman Lear. Yeah, Norman Lear said, this is easy. He goes... The first couple of episodes, and if you actually see these episodes, folks, they they were actually broadcast. The idea is, is that Archie Bunker has gone to a convention in Buffalo and is missing, and they don't know exactly where Archie is. If Carol O'Connor agreed to come back, great. Archie's back from the convention. If not, they were going to have Archie be the victim of a mugging and a killing, and that was how they were going to write him off the show. Uh, the fun 70s. Um, now, O'Connor was like, you yeah, try it. <laughs> I don't know why. That's why he sounds like in my head. And Lear said, oh, yeah, by the way, um, I'm putting an injunction on you that says you can't take any other acting roles. Injunction, junction. Shin, what's your function? I saw Rick Carroll O'Connor, but no more acting jobs. <laughs> Eat it. Sorry, I don't know why that makes me laugh. But at the end... O'Connor did get more. He had more creative control and he got more money. So he's kind of the clear winner. Just like Larry Hagman was on Dallas. So during the Who Shot JR phase, uh, Larry Hagman was like, I'm not coming back till you pay me more money and I want a stake in the show. And because he was so popular, the producers once again acquiesced. So it seems like if you're a man in this business and you're asking for more, you are going to get it. It just seems that way. Now, let's look at a similar situation from that time period, but from a female point of view. We're going to go back to 1980 with a woman that you have covered a lot, Suzanne Summers. Oh, I love Suzanne. Suzanne Summers was the breakout star of the TV show Three's Company. I'm very sorry, Joyce DeWitt, and I'm really sorry, Norman Fell. Three's <laughs> Company. Say, what about Norman? Norman was one of the most successful sitcoms of its time, but it was clear that everyone was tuning in to see Suzanne Summers. So after four seasons, it was time for uh, Miss Summers to renegotiate her contract. And because she thought it was unfair the men were getting 10 times more, uh, she wanted more money. She was hired at $3,500 a week. And then by the time season four rolled around, she was making 30000 a week. Wow. And then she asked for 150000 a week. Oh, wow. And ABC said, why? And she said, I'm the star. And they said, no, you're not. John Ritter's the star because he's the man. And, uh, we'll and this give... isn't a, like a fun term. Like, not no. Like, he, not like he's, he's the man. man. No. No, he's a man. He's a, a, a man. Suzanne, come back with a penis and maybe we can talk. And they decided to give her $5,000 more an episode. So she decided to play a little bit of hardball. And she said, fine, I'm not going to come in anymore. I'm just going to call in sick. And the producers felt we can get on without her. And as you know, they replaced Suzanne Summers from Three's Company. And the show did go on, and Summers was blacklisted for a really long time for being, quote-unquote, difficult. Why? Because she wanted to make the same amount of money as the men were making. Now, at the same time as All in the Family and Three's Company were on the air, the iconic Mary Tyler Moore show was on TV over on CBS, and that show became a beacon for so many females because there was a young, single, independent career woman whose job came first and her romance is second. She was strong, secure. She was a leader butting heads with Mr. Grant. But there was another character that audiences fell madly in love with on the Mary Tyler Moore show, Mary 
Harry's neighbor, Rhoda Morgenstern, who is loosely based on the writer uh, Trevor Silverman, who was a staff writer on uh, the Mary Tyler Moore show. Rhoda was unlucky in love unlucky in looks and unlucky in diets this was her opinion not ours honestly rhoda was us women looked at mary tyler moore thinking that's what they wanted to be but they looked at rhoda and said that's what we are and this was one of the first times that an ethnic character was on television and an ethnic character that was not hiding their ethnicity she was proudly jewish she was proudly from new york she was just happening to live in minneapolis minnesota and she was brought to life rhoda was by an unknown actress named valerie harper let's take a little listen at who rhoda was on the mary tyler moore show didn't work out huh did best tell you no i figured it out for myself i got this tremendous sensitivity and you've got this heating duct that goes all the way up to my apartment. It's nothing. When I turned 21 and still wasn't married, my mother officially declared me an old maid. I think she had it notarized. <laughs> so before the Mary Tyler Moore show went on the air in 1970, who was Valerie Harper? She was actually a Broadway dancer, uh, appearing in the ensemble of musicals like Wildcat with Lucille Ball. Oh, Valerie, nice feet. I was a wild cat. You're a tamed kitten, Valerie. <laughs> and Valerie really had no interest in television, per se, but when she was out in L.A. with the show, she auditioned for Mary Tyler Moore, and before she even got back home, she got a phone call saying she was cast as Rhoda. Now, Rhoda almost didn't make it past the pilot of the Mary Tyler Moore show because the pilot audience hated Rhoda <laughs> because she was so mean to Mary. How can anyone be mean to Mary Tyler Moore? So they had a little bit of a problem, which was like, well, what the hell do we do? Do we just write her off? And somebody came up with actually a very smart idea, which was they there was a little kid on the show, Phyllis, played by Chorus Leachman, had a daughter. And they said, if the kid says really early on that she likes Aunt Rhoda, the audience will know they can laugh. And the oh. kids said it, it got a big laugh, and everyone loved Rhoda after that. Rhoda, or I should say Valerie Harper, won three Emmy Awards. Oh, okay, wow. For playing Rhoda. She was so popular that it was decided that she would get her own spinoff. And in 1974, audiences were treated to Harper starring in Rhoda, alongside Julie Marge Simpson Kavner as her sister, and Ma and Nancy, yes, I directed Can't Stop the Music Walker as her mother. That's right. The reason I'm laying this all out is because it's very clear that Valerie Harper was not just some rando actress. That it wasn't like she was a one-time person that wasn't working. Like Suzanne Summers, I'm going to be honest with you. Suzanne Summers came to Three's Company with literally no, no track record. Yeah. So I want to lay out as much of a case as possible. Is that okay with the jury? Jury uh, of, my, of my peers. Yes. It's, it's, it's 12 fat Jews uh. just watching Lifetime. <laughs> uh, the so the first episode of Rhoda was entitled Joe, and it aired CBS Monday, September 9th, 1974 at 9.30 p.m., and it immediately set a record for being the first and only time in television history to achieve a number one Nielsen rating for a pilot episode. Wow. The pilot episode was number one in the Nielsen's. It even knocked off Howard Cosell's Monday Night Football. So it's very clear Valerie Harper can warrant an audience. Now, the big thing that everyone remembers about Rhoda is that eight weeks into the series, after we had watched her for years and years and years struggle with bad relationship after bad relationship on the Mary Tyler Moore show, she finally got married. Oh. And there was an hour-long episode 
where Rhoda and Joe get married. It was incredibly highly publicized. It became the highest rated TV episode of the 1970s until it was knocked off by Roots. And it was the second most watched episode in television history right underneath um, Little Ricky being born on I Love Lucy. It was watched by more than 52 million Americans to to watch Rhoda get married. She won um, another Emmy Award, of course, for all of this, which was great, but... Because between season one and two, Harper obviously was really aware of what her powers were. Once again, this is a pilot of a television show that has ranked number one in the ratings, beating out Monday Night Football. This is before TiVo. This is before DVR. This is before videotape. So the fact that so many people were tuning in is a testament to who she is. Now, she's won the Emmy now for a fourth time. And she goes to CBS and she says, I want to raise. They say, we're not going to give you a raise. She goes, great, I'm not coming back into work. Now, this kind of works in her favor. They know exactly what's going on. So the the CBS is like, great, she's very valuable to us. Let's give her a raise. She goes from like 10,000 an episode to like 17,500 an episode. So it's a nice chunk of change. But after that happens, the CBS TV president at the time, Robert Wood, he warns all of his colleagues, quote, We must be prepared to drop a regular from the cast of a series or start a new season with reruns or even substitute a different program at the last minute. The stars cannot be this powerful. That's the message he wants to send out. But Carol O'Connor got away with it. Yeah. She's getting away with it, right? So in 1976, the bicentennial, oh. uh, Rhoda God. took a turn, and one that felt very realistic, Rhoda and Joe separated. However, audiences felt cheated and didn't want this to happen, and they didn't warm to this idea. They also didn't warm to the idea that Nancy Walker was no longer on the show. She was very <laughs> successful. Rhoda got halfway through season five when it got canceled. If audiences were upset Valerie lost her husband, imagine how they'll soon feel when she loses her own show. So what goes on between the canceling of Rhoda and the beginning of her own TV show, Valerie? So after Rhoda, Harper tried moving her career to films. That didn't go over so well. And she started to focus on social issues like the ERA and feeding the hungry. Uh, But like all actors, she wanted to work. And so she decided to go back to television. Ah, television in the mid-1980s. One of my favorite times where television was either screwball farce like Cheers or family-oriented shows with morality like Mr. Belvedere. (laughs) Harper was given two options and she decided to go sort of like a combo in between. She had had her manager guiding the way. Her manager's name is Tony Cacciotti. Uh, oh, not only is he ma- her manager, he was her fitness coach. Oh. Not only was he her fitness coach, this is her husband. So Tony wanted to be a producer, and he was able to get a meeting with a production company called Lorimar. L- I was going to say Lorimar. It oh, is Lorimar. They were huge back yes. then. Now, Lorimar not only specialized in production, but also in the very lucrative world of syndication. Shows that Lorimar covered included Alf, Alvin and the Chipmunks, Full House, It's a Living, Love Connection, oh, and Dallas, Knott's Landing and Falcon Crest. They were like probably the biggest production company of the 80s or one of, at least oh, absolutely. for just being a bubble when they were absolutely. around. I mean, so many hits, so many. And like I said, their big thing was syndication. Now, Lorimer said that Tony should team up with ABC's Tom Miller and Bob Boyette. 
a Miller Boyette production. Tom Miller and Bob Boyette, their biggest things were they were on Happy Days, they were on Laverne and Shirley, they were from the Gary Marshall world. Got it. Which was very different than the MTM world that Valerie Harper came from. Miller and Boyette owed Lorimar a TV show. And they said, well, this will be great. We'll put Miller and Boyette will create a show for us, for Lorimar, with Valerie Harper. It's a done deal. But like I said before, it's like two different comedy worlds. I I think like getting Miller and Boyette to write a show for Valerie Harper is like saying like, okay, Maggie Smith, you're going to star in this show written by Adam McKay. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it just kind of doesn't work. And you said these two worlds. It's like, I can, I'm imagining like, okay, we're going to pair Chuck Lorre's team with the Lonely Island, yes. Andy Samberg. Yes. And, and let's see what they put together. I actually... I, they probably they would get probably, along yeah, they better pro- yeah. than what was going yeah, on over in Valerie yeah. land. Like I said, it makes absolutely no sense. But the thing that I think people sort of forget about television comedy at this time was in the 80s, networks had assumed television comedy was dead because of things like Dallas, mm-hmm. Dynasty, all of these big Hill Street Blues, all of these hour-long programs. Mm-hmm. So when the Cosby show popped up and then and Cheers as well and then Golden Girls, all of a sudden networks like, holy shit sitcoms are still funny. They just have to be done in a certain way. So they were desperate to get sitcoms in their roster. Times changed. Times changed, and they changed really, really Mm -hmm. fast. So in the summer of 1985, NBC announced a new comedy starring the beloved Valerie Harper. Why did they go with NBC? Because Miller Boyette were really ABC people. Mm Mm-hmm was because uh, no other network wanted to pick the show up. And NBC said, we'll pick it up and we'll also give you a seven-episode deal. So that way, they were at least guaranteed seven episodes. Great. So what was the premise of the TV show Valerie? Pretty simple. It was a mom, played by Valerie Valerie Harper, raising three children basically on her own. She's not divorced. She's not widowed. Her husband is a pilot. Got it. And And so he's always off piloting i don't know what else to say um gallivanting gallivanting in the air air. so what one of the things that was really important to valerie was she goes i don't want it to be about dating and i don't want it to be about the mom and dad's relationship i want it to be about a family um and the three sons that were cast were, were were uh an actor named danny ponce an actor named jeremy licht and the oldest son uh david was gonna be played by a newcomer named jason bateman Valerie is going to be the show that makes Jason Bates. Sure. That's that's pretty much it. Got he it. is the reason. We'll get to it, but he's going to be the reason people are tuning in. Got it. So it feels pretty much like a normal family sitcom. They also add in Edie McClurg as a nosy okay. neighbor named Mrs. Poole and a banger theme song. to know your friends are near in the heart of every family there's a love that's waiting there for you now we had a little bit of a problem here from the moment of the pilot it it seemed no one knew what the show was going to be 
tonally. Miller Boyette wanted slapstick, shtick, corny jokes, just like in Laverne and Shirley, and also like me and the chimp, which is every two lines, no matter what they're saying, somebody hit the laugh track. Miller Boyette wanted to be like all those big, silly, broad TV shows where like, oh, she's going to get stuck in an elevator dressed as a cactus, you know, some shit like that. (laughs) Hilarious. Um, And Harper wanted like the class and elegance of Cheers and Golden Girls. Like that's what she was looking for. She wanted a sophisticated comedy. Now, to get the person to write the pilot, they went with neither someone who was sophisticated nor somebody who was slapstick. They went with a guy named Charlie Hauk. Charlie Hauk was known for producing and writing a lot of episodes of the TV show Maud, oh. which was a political comedy where people just mm. yelled at each other for 23 minutes straight. So now Miller Boyette's not happy, I don't think. Harper's not happy, I don't think. And the director, though, was the best. It was James Burroughs. Jimmy B. Jimmy B um, is going to be the one who will direct the pilot. And at the same time, Valerie and Tony come in with a contract that says that she gets a cut of the profits and creative input. And what this was signaling to the industry, no matter who was the executive producer, who was creating what, or who was directing, Valerie was in charge. This was Valerie Harper's show. Or was it Valerie Harper's show? It's called Valerie. Well, yeah. So now, the world of television had changed a little bit in almost the decade that Harper had been away from it. She was used to the world of the Mary Tyler Moore show, where the actors, the writers, and directors would sit around a table and hash out the stories and scripts, and people could give input. Very theatrical. Sure. This was not at all how Miller and Boyette were used to working. They would say, they would do a read-through, they would send the actors away, and then they would work on it on their own without any input from anybody. This was kind of really going against what Harper was used to. Now, most actors in television, I'm assuming, enjoy the fact that they would come in, read, and then they could go off and relax for a while while the writers were working. Harper was not really able to adapt to this new way of shut up and do it. And she was like, I'm bringing my experiences to you, whether you like it or not. I am going to give you input. I am going to tell you what's working. For example, one of the things that slowed down rehearsals a lot was Valerie was insistent that scenes were rehearsed until they were really right. Unlike most TV shows. Yeah. Right? And that all prop and costume pieces be used during the blocking, much like a stage play. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, which the people from the world of television were like, what the hell? What? What? Like, why? Why do we have to do that? So literally, it was two people, two groups of people who had no idea how to handle creating a television show together. Now, despite the tensions, the show was getting praised for its writing. Uh, because Harper was holding them to a much higher standard than it was usual. Probably the most famous episode from Valerie was an sh- episode called Bad Timing, in which Jason Bateman's character talks about losing his virginity. Um, and it was the first time on a primetime television show the word condom was used. So it's getting, it's it's moving into like a social world. And one of the things that's very clear about Valerie, even though the writing is good, it's not great, it's good, it's not great. Jason Bateman was an unparalleled talent. This young guy would get on screen and you could not take your eyes off of him. So needless to say, all of a sudden, all these teen magazines are all talking about Jason Bateman. Now, if there was one thing Miller and Boyette were really good at, they were great at making stars out of unknowns. Tom Hanks on Bosom Buddies. Robin Williams on Mork and Mindy. The list goes on and on and on. And like smart producers, they began to emphasize that the show was about 
Jason Bateman. And everyone else was just around him, including Valerie. By the way, Miller Boyette also does Family Matters later on. Thank you. So if we have some Urkel issues, there we go. Jaleel White, Steve Urkel. Exactly. (laughs) So Bateman was clearly becoming the star. The jokes were getting broader and broader. And the characters began to sort of reek of that Miller Boyette seriousness. And that's probably best seen in the character of Edie McClurg as Mrs. Poole. Now, I think... Edie McClurg is a fucking genius. Will you explain who Edie McClurg is in yes, case anyone doesn't know? Thank you. Yeah. So, friends, if you've ever seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off, she's the secretary, Grace. Um, she's a short, rotund little actress. She's in plane, trains, and automobiles. Oh, she's, she's, she's brilliant in anything she does. She always has that Midwestern sensibility to her. But I just want to give you an example of, like, the the comedy that Miller and Boyette were putting into this. And we'll, you, we'll go through Edie McClurg. So in this scene, Edie McClurg has come in to introduce everybody to her new niece, played by a pre-full house, Jodie Sweden. Oh. Sure, here. Oh, she lifts the kid up and has a back spasm. Oh, oh, my back. That was a major mistake. (laughs) Miss Poole, what's the matter? It's this lumbar thingamabob. Get me out of the fire department. (laughs) I have some pills there in my purse. The side pocket? Oh, yeah, sure. Willie, get some water. Water. Hey, uh, want to get your sticky little hands off me? No. (laughs) Oh, you're such a good boy, Mark. Come on. Oh, hi. Uh Well, it shouldn't take long now. Until the pills make you feel better? No, until they knock me on my keister. <laughs> I tell you, these little puppies are potent. So Harper, like I said, she wanted a show with some edge to it, a family show with humor and a sharp point, and she was getting relegated to literally standing behind the kitchen island and dispensing advice to Jason Bateman every episode about what he should do with his different girlfriends. Soon, it began to leak out that Harper was jealous of Jason Bateman. Oh, Jesus. She always denied this, and... He always denied this. So who knows if it's true or not? But she said, listen, she goes, I she goes, I wanted more stories about the other boys. She goes, I did not want this to be the story of this kid. Um, she's like, that's family ties. That's growing pains. Mm-hmm. That's not I mean, us. it's true. And it's, and she's right. Nothing says showing your patriotism like supporting self-funded podcasts. Especially those hosted by two white men. It's the American dream, right? Yes, the American dream of not achieving your goals, so you head to the world of podcasting. And let's keep the dream alive for John Hancock. How does one do that? Well, revolutionaries, head on over to Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And search for This Was a Thing and set a monthly donation. Even a dollar a month helps us. Your contributions help us continue defending America from foreign podcasters. Okay, can I shoot some fireworks into the night sky now? It's daytime, Rob. Plus, they're illegal. Don't tread on me. Read the hat. So at the end of the second season, it was clear that Valerie was starting to like move ahead in the ratings because they had the great episode about sex. They had Jason Bateman, who was becoming a star, and they moved its time slot. So it started to follow ALF. And the ALF lead-in helped bump it. So now that things are starting to go well, Tony, the husband manager, and Valerie felt they should get a little raise for their work. So right before the beginning of the third season in 1987, they asked for a raise. 
And now, here comes the drama. So the terms of their contract, uh, original contract, said that Valerie was going to receive $56,750 per episode by her third year, plus 10% of the show's adjusted gross profits. In May of 87, they demanded an increase to $100,000 per episode for Harper and 35% of the adjusted gross profits, escalating to $90,000 per show in year five. And then in June she requ- of 87, she requested those figures be boosted to $100,000 in year three and $140,000 in year five so she's Uh it's asking for a lot lorimar which was the production company and miller boyette which were the producers said no (laughs) now harper was not an idiot and she knew what to do because she had done it before to good results on rhoda and it worked she decided that i'm not going to come in to work they're coming in to see it worked before it worked before why won't it work again and on this and this is also pretty smart unlike carol o'connor in all in the family this show is called valerie, valerie. it's built around valerie. valerie harper so there with no valerie there's no show so lorimar like aunt lorman lear did on all in the family they filmed an episode without her uh, and then they went public and they said if harper didn't come back to Valerie, if Valerie didn't come back to Valerie, they were going to proceed without her with the actress Sandy Duncan. Now, Sandy Duncan, folks, if you're a Wheat Thins fan, you'll Mm. know Sandy Duncan. There's also that story about her having a glass eye. I don't know if that's true or not. You know that story, right? The Sandy Duncan and the glass eye? I don't know if I know the story. We'll save that for a separate episode. The problem was NBC owed Sandy Duncan a show. And they were like, well, we'll put her in this and that'll that'll kill two birds with one stone if <laughs> Valerie's not coming back. So eventually a compromise was reached offering Harper $65,000 per episode and 12.5% of the dem- domestic gross receipts. If, that's, if that works for both parties, she'll come back. And it worked for both parties. Oh, good. And she came back and she filmed one episode. Oh, no, no, no. That's fine. And so she's now at home following monday they filmed on a friday monday she's at home with the costumer the costumer's trying on different outfits for her for that week's episode when all of a sudden her phone rang valerie's phone rang and it was lorimar and they said we want to go back on the deal and we want to go right back to where we were before negotiations started that was unacceptable and they said now this is where it gets tricky they said it's probably best for you to walk away does that mean she's quitting or does that mean we're firing you Nobody really knew. So, no matter what, though, there was one thing that we all knew. Valerie Harper, the star of Valerie, was told she couldn't be in the show called Valerie. She was fired. At the end of the day, she was fired. Oh, and uh, they didn't leave the door open. There was no potential for reconciliation. No, like, oh, Chrissy Snow is just visiting her family, and maybe she'll be back on Three's Company. None of that. They killed her. I was going to say the And not gently. Valerie was killed in a horrible car accident. Oh, my God. And to take care of the grieving family? And Sandy. So Sandy Duncan joined the show after they killed off Valerie Harper. And it wasn't like a car accident. In a horrible car accident. She said, this is Harper, and I quote, I think it's a callous, heartless, irresponsible decision to kill a mother on a comedy on national TV. I want to yell, run, Bambi, run. 
These guys must really hate me. <laughs> when something like this happens and you are being fired from your own television show, that sends a pretty strong message to the industry, which is we would rather fire you than have you around anymore. Right? On your own N- fucking yeah. TV yeah, uh, show. No, yeah. This isn't norm. <laughs> no. And so, like, you can either just stop or you can go on. And I thought this was very interesting. This is how Valerie uh, rebounded. It was so um, inconsequential in terms of other things. I remember the day I got the word that I was going to be removed from the show, um, there was a terrible plane wreck at LA, people coming to LAX. And also, Joan Rivers' husband had just killed himself, Edgar. And Tony and I, back and forth, Tony Dick, Tony and I were sitting in our, we were refurbishing our house and I was so bereft. And we were sitting there on the floor, we had no furniture in yet, they were still putting in the the, uh, roof. And it was kind of just devastating. But we said to each other, okay, we're not at LAX, I'm not at LAX waiting for you on a plane on which you will not arrive. And I'm not Joan having to face what she, you know? So it was incredibly interesting that, and we fought it. And like she said, they fought fought it. it. So now we have a whole bunch of issues that are being raised here. The first one is, if Valerie's no longer on Valerie, can you call the show Valerie? So what are we going to do about the title? So Brandon Tartikoff, the president of entertainment at NBC at the time, said he picked the name Valerie's family. Okay. So he wouldn't have to tell his young daughter, quote, that Valerie was now called at home with the Hogans with a new lady. Uh But the question was, why not just cancel the show? If the show was Valerie, cancel the show, put Jason Bateman on his own TV thing, and call it a day. But Tartikoff liked the idea of demonstrating that a show was bigger than its star. If NBC could make Valerie more successful without Harper than it was with her, it would send a message far and wide to every single star. You're expendable. Producers in Hollywood could not have been happier. And the news was dominated by the fact that Valerie Harper was fired off of her own fucking TV show. But why was she fired exactly? So rumors began to circulate. Was it she was drinking? Was it that she was unable to perform? Was it that she had anger issues? I'm sure just everything that could have been guessed was all over. Oh, absolutely. So the producers were in a bit of a pickle, however, which was to publicly justify why they didn't give more control to Harper or even more money, because that's really what she was asking for. She was saying, I want more control. I want more money. They're saying you can't have that. She created the fucking show, right? So honestly, it sounds like they wanted to do the type of show that they had always done, which was dumb and silly, where it was centered around a a breakout star, and that was going to be Jason Bateman. And Valerie Harper just didn't want that. Miller Boyette had their formula, and Valerie Harper was standing in the way. So once again, dumb jokes, a breakout star, every trope at their disposal. But Harper was not allowing it. But instead of saying that they, instead of saying, listen, it's artistic differences, which is literally what this is, they said she was insane and difficult. And Tony was meddling too much. Now, that maybe could have been the end of it. But what people didn't really know at this time was that Harper was in the process of adopting a child. And she was concerned that the welfare workers who would do 
checkups and monitor her behavior, would start to believe the bad press about her. And then that would somehow come into the factoring of the adoption proceedings. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. So she's like, I mortifying. She's like, I need to fight back. I need to fight back. I need to reclaim my name and I need to clear the air. So Harper, being no fool, knew her way to retaliate against the firing was to go to the press. She hand wrote 75 invitations to journalists to come to a press conference where she walked through exactly what happened. She took every interview she could and she was ready to sue. Valerie Harper in 1987 is going to sue NBC, Lorimar, and Miller and Boyette. Wow. Now, it's kind of divided into three battles. The battles are, can they still use her name, right? What money has she lost? What money does she deserve to get? And does she deserve any money for uh, damaging her reputation? Okay. So battle number one, folks, Valerie Harper versus NBC. So NBC wanted to keep the name Valerie for viewer recognition. At the trial, the lawyers for NBC said, and I quote, Valerie Harper is a second-rate actress. Nobody knows who she is. Her name means nothing. Wow. Now, this really got under the judge's collar. This is after she won three Emmys, mind four you. Four Emmys. Yeah, for a, a decade, but yes, still. Because uh, the judge was like, now you, he's like, he goes, I will not tolerate that in my courtroom. My wife loves Valerie <laughs> Harper. And he said, there's only one Valerie when I think of Valerie Harper. Name another Valerie. And the lawyer at NBC said, Valerie Bertinelli. And the judge said, I don't know who that is. Then Eddie Van Halen kicked the doors open. (laughs) How dare you? But he hadn't made a ruling yet, the judge. Okay, because you know, trials take a really long time. Here was the issue. Even though the judge was clearly leaning towards Valerie's, Valerie Harper, it takes a really long time for court dates to like actually occur, which means by the time the decision had been made, Valerie could have been off the air for a number of years. Yeah. So they wanted to expedite things. Did you know that in California, there's a program colloquially colloquially termed Rent-A-Judge? That's where both sides evenly pay for a retired judge to hear the case, which expedites the process. Wow. That sounds like something that you'd see on like television. Like- yeah. So now, between the hearing and the actual court date, NBC asked Valerie Harper to star in the TV movie, <laughs> The People Across the Lake. Now, Harper what? yep, Harper took it because it showed the world that the network who fired her, because she's not good, or not I shouldn't say not good, but she's difficult to work with, yeah. obviously trusted her enough to star in a movie, meaning the claims of, quote, unable to work are null and void. So because they cast Smart. her in that, Harper dropped the lawsuit, Agreeing that the name could Valerie could be used in the interim between now and whenever the court date was settled. Got it. So she got off their backs. So now, the ch- because she's dropped her case against NBC, NBC's like, bye, bitches. Yeah. We're Stop. done. See you, Lorimar. And now the case was going to be between Valerie Harper and Lorimar. So in October of 1987, Harper decides to sue Laura Moore and Miller Boyette for $180 million, oh. including, uh, and that includes damages for being wrongly dismissed, profits off the show, and uh, the injunction to stop using you know, her name. Lorimar decides to countersue. And they're saying, listen, she was out of control. She ruined production. And we're suing her for $70 million for the fact that she delayed things for so long. And 
yeah, we went back on our decision because her behavior at the final taping, when she came when she came in to film that one episode, made everyone uncomfortable and made everyone un, uneasy. So that's why we got rid of her. All right. So the first question we have to ask is, was she fired or did she leave? Miller and Boyette said she wasn't fired. She walked off the show. That's it. Harper said, quote, ha, this star did not walk off, but was fired. <laughs> so then Miller Boyette <laughs> said, okay, she was fired, but with just cause. So at the trial, Bob Boyette, the producer, recalled Harper was, quote, screaming and crying and verbally assaulting various of the show's creative personnel. Her behavior during a long meeting could be characterized as a changeable combination of fury, hysteria, combativeness, and paranoia. That's a word that they like to use against strong women, hysteria. Tom Miller also said, she lunged towards me yelling, you were glad I wasn't here and you loved it. You loved it. <laughs> Lorimar Television President David Salzman said, Harper, quote, acted as if she was insane at some meetings and said he was concerned for her health and sanity during meetings before Harper left the show and, quote, I happen to think that if she were not a major personality, the facts being what they are, she would not have pursued this case. I have to think that she's counting on the jury being very heavily swayed by that. Just so much shade. Oh, yeah. Well, Harper comes back and she says, quote, they're saying that Valerie Harper is crazy and neurotic and that I was disabled as an actress. I will prove the conspiracy they made to ruin my reputation. And she said that they're liars. Now, Miller and Boyette, decide to sue her in retaliation for $20 million for libel because she's saying you, when you said that we're lying under oath, you're accusing us of perjury and we're not perjuring. And so you've damaged our reputation. You owe us $20 million. Brandon Tartikoff got involved and he said, quote, Valerie brought this on herself. She was a holdout at a tremendous cost to us. When this blew up into a war, we decided to go with plan B. Sandy Duncan. Harper said, listen, folks, Brandon Tartikoff, this is a veiled threat to actors trying to straighten out their contracts. And she warned Tartikoff that such tactics will one day bite him in the ass. Now, I want to give the final word on this little section here to somebody who we haven't heard from yet. Sandy Duncan. Oh, thank God. Who uh, in the press sent a message to Valerie saying, quote, you are so talented but you just can't hang on to this show forever. Look at this as a divorce on the grounds of irreconcilable differences. Believe in your own survival instincts, Valerie, and just go on. You can't wallow in something for too long or negative energy takes over. Ultimately, this is not of global interest. And then before an actual trial begins, we have a rented judge, and I know that you love a good name. So oh, I want to yes. introduce you to our rented judge who's okay. going to decide in the Valerie proceedings, William Hogoboom. The Honorable. The Honorable William Hogoboom. Hogoboom. And he says, look, I'm throwing out Harper's idea that there was a, a conspiracy <laughs> between NBC and Lorimar to get you off the air. And I'm also throwing out Lorimar's request for punitive damages. So the question became, at the end of the day, was Harper fired for just cause? And either way, what was she entitled to? So in order to explore that, we're going to need some evidence and some witnesses. Let's take a look at the trial. Valerie Harper versus Miller Boyette. Welcome to the world of Hollywood trials. <laughs> it's a three-week court battle in 1988. Let's look at some evidence. Can we please see exhibit 529, please? Just a second. 
Here it is. Great. Can you tell me what Exhibit 529 was at this trial? Oh, geez. You're going to die. I can't wait to tell you. Exhibit 529 was a letter from Alf. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Willie, let me borrow a pen. (laughs) Alf, you don't get involved in trials. We don't need this. (laughs) Alf, we're a big hit. Don't rock the Mm, boat. (laughs) Um. So actually what this was, was it was a letter from the Lorimar president to Tartikoff begging NBC not to cancel the poorly rated Valerie in the first season, but it was written from the point of view of Alf. The judge is like, well, my daughter loves Alf. Yeah. Name another Alf. (laughs) Alf Landon, presidential candidate. (laughs) So so the evidence includes a letter from Alf, (laughs) a change of life note. This was this this was a note that was circulated by the staff saying Harper's crazy because she's menopausal. And the main focus, the evidence, this is my favorite, the main focus of the case was the fact that they said on the night of the taping, she was erratic, um, she was not behaving professionally, and that she was putting people in harm's way. So if you know, as customary back then, cameras recorded everything at the beginning of the taping, even when things were not, when action wasn't being called. So there was a full living document of all of the accusations that the producers had made against her. But they needed to watch the footage and determine if Miss Harper was behaving unprofessionally. So they needed an expert witness. And the expert witness, folks, was Carol Burnett. Valerie's lawyer, Barry, uh, was the one who successfully sued the Inquirer for Carol Burnett. And so she would be the expert witness. Makes sense as she was one of the hardest working television sure. actresses and knew a lot about the business. And why would Carol even lie? So they had Carol Burnett sit in a room <laughs> and watch all the footage. And then she came and she testified as an expert witness. And she pulled on her ear. And she pulled on her ear and that signaled to the jury vote not guilty uh and then tim conway came out he misses a brunette he came out he came out as the attorney he misses a brunette uh do you know why you're here today my son-in-law loves tim conway (laughs) i'm coming out of retirement now the big scene in question that night was a scene in which uh valerie's character scolds david played by jason bateman Lorimar said, look at the tape. She's overly aggressive and out of control on Bateman, putting him in harm's way. Harper said, I was only doing what the director asked for. And the director did validate Harper's testimony. Burnett looked at the scene and said, listen, I don't see someone behaving unprofessionally. It's an actress giving the producers three options in takes. And in the footage that the audiences don't get to see on the broadcast, because the cameras were still rolling. She's like, look, Harper is pleasant with the co-stars. She's making them laugh. She's making the audience laugh. They said she's not, she's going above and beyond. This is not unprofessional. So basically, at the end of the day, the only charge Lorimar was really left with was Harper wasn't happy in her job. That's like the only thing that they still have. Now, even that little shred that Lorimar could hold on to went away because witness that was testifying for Lorimar's side admitted that Lorimar and Harper had filled out the wrong contract. They had filled out a short-term contract with each other, and after the show went to series, they were supposed to fill a long-term contract, which Lorimar never did. (laughs) Good. It's amazing that even at that level, 
those mistakes get made. So uh, it's it's perfect. It, it makes so much sense. So at the end of the trial in September of 1988, the jury ruled for Valerie Harper, and they awarded her. million in damages, plus 12.5% of the profits from the show, $220,000 in compensation for the dismissal of her husband, uh, and another $200,000 that Harper would have earned by starring in a made-for-television movie for Lorimar as part of her original contract. Lorimar received zero. And the next day, the LA Times ran a picture of Harper on the front page of the business section with the headline, She Won. Now, Harper didn't stay off TV for very long, and in 1990, she joined CBS to star in a TV series called City, (laughs) which was on Mondays at 8.30, right up against NBC's The Hogan Family. We'll be right back. This was a thing, this was a thing, And now, this is a sketch. All right, sir, you've been sworn in. Please state your name for the record. Gordon Shumway, but my union name is Alf. Mr. Shumway, can I call you Alf? Hey, no problem. Now, Alf, you wrote a letter to Mr. Brandon Tartikoff, and in it you said you didn't know Miss Harper, and you were a fan, right? I was a fan. I love Valerie as much as I love a cat and cheese sandwich. Uh Uh-huh. So if you didn't know Miss Harper before the letter, can you explain these photos to me dated one month before the letter? Counselor, please describe the pictures to the jury. It's the plaintiff, Miss Harper, performing various sexual acts on the witness. Counselor, please be more detailed. One of our jury members is blind and is being played by Mark Blankfield. Maybe Alf can tell us uh, as I cycle through these photos. That's me nuzzling Miss Harper's thigh. That's Miss Harper going down on me in John Ratzenberger's driveway. That's Miss Harper going down on me while George Went jerks off in the background. That's me taking Miss Harper from behind while Max Wright does crack off my tail. Alf, why did you say that? That's Miss Harper coughing up a hairball that she licked off my balls. That's me eating Valerie's pussy. Literally, I ate her cat. And then that's me eating her pussy pussy, like her vagina pussy. Sorry, Valerie. No further questions, Your Honor. I have a question. What's that, Mr. Alf? What's an alien gotta do around here to spread some love on Sandy Duncan's wheat thins? Thank you. This was a sketch. So, though it wasn't part of the lawsuit, the producers agreed to change the name of the show from Valerie's family to... The Hogan Family. Uh, Uh, It survived on NBC with pretty decent ratings until about 1990 when NBC purged it along with several other shows that it considered unhip. Hulk Hogan was the dad that was the pilot. Yeah, oh yeah. (laughs) Miller and Boyette, as they would do with several other canceled shows, took it to CBS for one last season and they added a whole bunch of crappy new characters. This is a sample of the writing on Valerie that Harper... Demand. I mean, I'm so tired of all the responsibility just because I'm the oldest. Well, yeah. I see your point, honey, but what can I say? Uh, you were right first. You know what I'm saying? That's it. That's your place in this family. There is no way to change that. But there are some perks to being firstborn. Like what? Like, uh, you can drive, right? You, uh, are allowed a later curfew and have a lot more freedom than your brothers. 
You have your own room. You get to make more decisions for yourself. And you, um, you, my little clothes horse, have never had to wear one hand-me-down. <laughs> right? And that's what a responsibility, Dave. It just goes with the territory. I guess I don't have it that bad. Okay, so that's that was the writing that she was asking for. Now, here's the writing Uh-oh. after she left. In this one, Mrs. Poole and Aunt Sandy have brought a Christmas tree into the house. Mrs. Poole just found a place that has the most gorgeous scotch pines. Sandy, all week you've been talking about Christmas trees like they were guys or something. Yeah, I'm starting to worry. Come on, decorating the Christmas tree has always been very special to me. Every year since I was... Five years old, I've added a new ornament to my collection, and I could tell you a story about each and every one of them. Just remember that. Sandy, how am I going to make Christmas dinner when I can't find a single market in Oak Park that sells goose? Oh, Dad, Michael always uh, has turkey for Christmas dinner. Turkey? The Christmas goose is one of the traditions your ancestor, Seamus Hogan, brought over here when he left Ireland in 1806. The name went Seamus. I'd leave the country, too. There you go. And, of course, in this episode, uh, David, played by Jason Bateman, uh, becomes a mall Santa, and hilarity ensues. (laughs) So what are the implications of all of this? Well, unfortunately, Harper never had another successful TV show, uh, and she went to the world of theater and subsequently had passed away she did dancing with the stars right yeah she did yeah uh miller and boyette went and literally created tgif with shows like family matters full house perfect strangers and ironically literally a year after the trial harper miller and boyette all became friendly again Uh. and all stayed friends with each other obviously jason bateman has had an incredible acting and directing career and yes the show really did become about jason bateman So let's talk a little bit about what this decision did, because once again, folks, this is such a rarity in the entertainment industry that everybody was talking about it, which is you have fired the star of her own show. It's like saying no, no Seinfeld on Seinfeld (laughs) and both actors and producers then were like, well, what do we do now to make sure something like this never happens again? So like I said, the idea of firing Harper was really to tell stars, the show is the show, the star is not the show, which meant that networks would now try to embrace more ensemble-based shows. So if you look at shows from that time, you have things like A Different World or Full House or Designing Women, where there was no one star. And if there was a star like Seinfeld or Roseanne, the star is part of an ensemble. No, yeah. Jerry Seinfeld just, is part it, it, of an ensemble. It's exactly. It's the four of them. You don't yeah. want, You don't think of just Jerry Seinfeld. I mean, I think of the three other characters before Jerry when I think of yeah. Seinfeld. And, and it, he's fine with that. Absolutely. And it was also, and same thing really with Roseanne. Yeah. Which was, that was an ensemble absolutely. show. And everyone is so good on that show. So, but that was one of the things that networks were then trying to do after Valerie, which was, how do we make it a world in which it's an even playing field? And then, of course, Friends, I think, is a Friends. really great exa- and, I mean, even example. And che- like you said, Cheers, though, kind of was, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, there's Sam Malone and stuff. Yeah. But, uh, but it's, I mean, I... I don't know. I guess I I feel like it was that was almost like a precursor to like showing that you can do ensemble. Like yeah, you were focused on Sam and uh, Diane, Diane. Well, I mean, and, 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 and stuff, and people thought you know the show was going to 
fall apart when Shelley Long, yeah, when left. Shelley Long and you. and obviously it was you know that's not the yeah. case. The show was able to sustain, but the show wasn't called Shelley. The show was called Cheers. Cheers. Yeah. Um, it's also interesting to note that I, I think that the men seem to get away with the bad behavior. And for much less, like Carol O'Connor did not invent All in the Family, nor did he create Archie Bunker, but he acted like he did. And he got what he wanted with people cheering him on. And a spinoff. And a spinoff. But when Suzanne Summers wanted it, or Valerie Harper wanted it, two women that I think actually have more ground to stand on in their lawsuits, they were told no. And in such extreme cases, one woman was literally the star. Sorry, Suzanne Summers was the star of Three's Company. And the other created the show. They were labeled as hysterical and they were labeled as difficult. Now, there were three women that came after Harper who saw what Harper had went through and demanded protection in their own sitcoms and creative control and made networks terrified of firing them. A couple of actresses that I feel probably would have been let go had the Valerie Harper incident not occurred. So even though Valerie Harper didn't get to stay on the TV show Valerie, I think her fight ended up giving a lot of security to other comedians. Sure. And I'm going I'm to talk about women specifically. The first one is Brett Butler. Oh, Grace Under Fire. Yeah, so the success of shows like Seinfeld and Roseanne made producers want to create sitcoms around comics, and Brett Butler was given her own show on ABC that Chuck Lorre created. In fact, Chuck Lorre created the show, and then afterwards they put Brett Butler into the show, so it wasn't like it was built for Brett Butler. After the third season, however... Butler had spa- uh, substance abuse issues uh, that began to return, and she did things like she flashed her breasts uh, allegedly to a 12-year-old actor. Um, then the, the kid left the show, and she was missing a lot of work because of her recovery, and ABC wanted to let her go, and they probably would have let her go much earlier, but they were so terrified, I think, of what the retaliation was going to be. It's interesting to note that both actors like Charlie Sheen and Kelsey Grammer, who had substance abuse issues, somehow they were allowed Mm -hmm. to stay without much of an issue. But Brett Butler was told, you know, I think they probably wanted to get rid of her earlier. They eventually did because of that. Uh, Sybil Shepard, in 1995, Sybil was, Sybil was given her own CBS sitcom that was fraught with tension between her and Chuck Lorre and co-star Christine Baranski. I was going to say, Christine Baranski was in that, yeah. Yeah, unlike Harper, Shepard didn't like Baranski being so liked. Harper was cool, Jason Bateman was. Shepard was not happy that Baranski was getting more credit than her. It's Christine Baranski. I have to I deal know. with that. This show was nominated for countless Emmys. Shepard won a Golden Globe, but when a little dip in the ratings occurred, it was pulled. Was it pulled because Shepard was too difficult, uh, because of the feminist show the show was taking? Or as Shepard alleged, Les Moonves was uh, rejected by her uh, when he made an advance on her and he took uh. it out of the show. It's in, now, CBS said, no, 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 we're pulling it because the ratings are low. It's also interesting to note that Don Johnson's Nash Bridges, which was on at the time, was much lower in the ratings, but extended by CBS. I think Nash Bridges got an, another uh, revival movie in like the last year. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing, which is like their excuse of, oh, well, the ratings are low. Yeah. Well, Nash Bridges was lower. Yeah, Chicago Hope was lower. Chicago Hope. But you, what? I wonder why this one's getting pulled. And then, of course, one that it, it's kind of two sides of this coin is Roseanne. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Roseanne's TV series, the first one was being created around the same time the Harper case was occurring. And because unlike Valerie, the show was a mega hit out of the gate, Barr knew immediately her power, like demanding that the creator, and I'm using that in quotation marks, Matt Williams, name be removed from the credits because he's like, she's like, this is my life up there. What the hell did he create? Barr refused to do dialogue or to take ideas until Williams was gone. 
ABC fired him by the 13th episode. Oh, wow. Is that quick? Yeah. Because she knew her power, but she'd also seen what was going on with Valerie Harper. Yeah. And because of that, she pushed the envelope in a lot of ways, having openly gay characters, multiracial friends. She brought her husband onto the show and nobody could say anything about it. Tom Arnold. Arnie. Arnie. Uh, And she took the series wherever the fuck she wanted to. And the network couldn't do a damn thing about it. That's because she saw Valerie... And she saw what Valerie went through and was like, the same thing will not happen to me. Now, this is the flip side of this coin, which is Roseanne Part 2. If we all remember in 2018, Roseanne returned to ABC with a reboot of her show. And it was eagerly welcomed by all. And the show and its writing seemed more relevant it was than huge. ever. For, I'm gonna, I'll be honest with you. And I know we're not like in this day of like everyone being canceled and all stuff like that. The television show Roseanne was a fantastic television oh, show, it, and I'm I don't know. Listen, I I don't know what happened to her over time, but she did so much for so many different communities when that show was on the air. Absolutely, and I I think that not, people aren't just you know in one category or another category. So I hope people don't forget that about her. Plus, th- there were brilliant performances by John Goodman and Laurie Metcalf. And of the, the kids. I the mean, kids. Sarah Gilbert is Sarah Gilbert, brilliant on Sarah that Ch- show. I mean, all of them. And the show, uh, uh, but the show, the new version that Roseanne was rebooting in 2018 was very relevant. It was going to deal with political issues in, in, a, in a topical way. But as we all remember, Barr tweeted out something that was very inappropriate, very racially insensitive. And now the question became, well, what do we do now? The show is called Roseanne, right? So now this is interesting because now this isn't a creative control issue like they were having on Valerie. This was a free speech issue. Would ABC allow Roseanne to continue saying it was a terrible mistake, but it's a free country? Or would ABC fire Roseanne and say it did not tolerate this behavior? Would people even want to see Roseanne without Roseanne? Well. Look at Valerie. It worked on Valerie. (laughs) It was cheaper to kill off Roseanne and continue with the show, but something happened. The show ended up being more impactful as Roseanne was killed off by an opioid addiction. exactly. Something that was plaguing much of the country at the time. The spinoff could only go forward assuming Barr signed a deal to give up rights to the show meaning she would not be involved creatively or financially, and she would likely receive a one-time payment in return. She didn't have to sue for that, though. Yeah. She didn't have to fight for it the way Valerie Harper did. And she loved everyone on that show, I feel like, where she wanted to keep everyone in the cast, cast, crew employed, and And, she knew what it meant more to them. And same with Valerie Harper. No, yeah, exactly, yeah. When Valerie got fired... All of the three kids who played her sons all wanted to make phone calls and talk to the network. And she said, don't do that. I don't want you involved. That's pretty classy. And same thing here with Roseanne, which is you're absolutely right. She could have said, no, I'm taking the show with me. And she didn't. Somehow on Roseanne, firing the lead character made the show more impactful. But they would never have known that had Valerie Harper. Valerie Harper sued. So Roseanne could, could walk. walk. <laughs> Valerie Harper walked so Roseanne could tweet. <laughs> I don't like that analogy. You want to play a game? <laughs> yeah. This was a thing and now it's a quiz. This is a this was a quiz. With Mark Schroeder. 
Mark, did you ever watch the Hogan family? Probably not, no, right? No, I didn't. didn't miss did you ever watch, I, I, you didn't, and you didn't watch Valerie? No, I didn't. Did no, you watch I, Hogan Knows Best? I watched a little Hogan Knows Best. Yeah, definitely did, watched that. Did you like that Alf was a witness in this trial for uh, the Al, firing of Valerie Harper? <laughs> well, I mean, if you're going to trust anybody, yeah. trust the Melmacium. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't lie. It's sad, though. This is an industry bullshit thing. She got, she got done dirty. My mom always had this phrase was the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Yeah. I always thought that's not really true. I, today, we're going to explore the wicked world of Hollywood expendability with a little game called the squeaky wheel gets replaced. Take it off. Put, put a better <laughs> one back on. Put a cheaper one back I on. I just have to say this entire season, Mark. The titles of these games have just been fabulous. Thanks, man. I'm sure. Tra- I mean, this is season two. We gotta up it. I'm trying to make it. Uh, trying to make it fun. It's good. It's real good. It fun. So this game, you guys are going to compete against each other uh, to see who knows more about actors who have been replaced by other actors in TV or movies. I'm going to read a clue consisting of three things: whether the project is a movie or TV show, the year the change took place, and the name of the second actor that replaced the first. Okay. The first person to correctly blurt out the correct answer, the name of the TV show, the movie, right? So you can answer anything. You can answer the name of the movie that it is, or TV show, the name of the original actor, or the name of the character that they replaced. Okay. Okay. You can say anything. Uh, The person gets five seconds if you say the first thing right. You then get five seconds to name the rest of the thing. So like if you name the character, you can name the actor and the show if you want for maximum points. But here's what's going to happen. Oh, geez. If you try for extra points, you get it wrong. You get zero points for that round. So if you say, oh, I'm going to say the scary. character, I'm going to go for the actor, and you say it wrong, you don't get any points for that round. That's like a teacher and rule. And the other person gets one free steal. They can take one free clue. That's, so, like, that's a teacher rule, like making sure the whole class gets to... Yeah, this is going to be interesting. I'm going to try this one. So there's 10 clues below. Some have characters that were replaced. Uh, they were brought in with new characters, but we all know what's really going on there. So there's a 24 possible points below. And we're not working together? You're not working against each other. So the first person to say any part of the thing okay. gets like five seconds. And we do spotlight on you and you okay. can choose to name more if you want. So I'm going to need to, for the first time in This Was a Thing history, I'm taking notes. Oh my wow. God. To keep track of points and score because... Uh, we're upping the level of play and game. We're almost through here. season two, folks. All right, here we go. Number one, TV show, 1980, Jenny Lee Harrison. Three's Company. Got it. Um, Rob. The the character her she was replacing Suzanne Summers, who played Chrissy Snow. Got and it. And she was playing Cindy Snow. Okay, we got we get clear three points for everything. Is that there. the whole game? I think you won the whole game. Sorry, uh, game is over. Rob took no. There's so many points left. Okay. There's 21 points left. Okay, you can do okay, this. Okay. That's fine. So three points to Rob. Very nicely. Question number two. Movie, 2010, Don Cheadle. Uh, it, that would be Iron Man 2. Uh, uh, he would, he was Rhodey. He replaced uh, uh, Terrence Howard. Oh, he's got C. And just like that, it's tied up. Question number three. TV show, 1992, Sarah Chalk. Uh, Roseanne. Roseanne. Um, That's a tie. It's a tie. I don't know what to do. It was Lacey Gilbert. I I don't know what to do. It was Lacey Gilbert, and she played um, uh, uh, Becky, Becky Connor. I think we'll- Give it to Rob. I I bet if you played that back, if you look at the audio file, I bet it's identical. what what did you say her name was that she replaced? She played- No, uh, but not not Becky. Who did she replace? Sarah Chalk. Who did Sarah Chalk replace? Lacey- um, You'd believe he said it. 
but let's see if you can confirm. Oh no! Did, Did I you say, say Lacey wrong? Peterson? You, you said Lacey Gilbert, I think. It was Lacey Gilbert, and she played um, uh, uh, Becky, Becky Connor. Ah, <gasps> it's Lacey Gorenson. Yeah, Lacey oh, Gilbert. It's Sarah Gilbert. Say, okay, because there's Lacey no Peterson, sorry, I, I no points for that. Yeah, by Rob. Scott. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but never. you didn't say Lacey Peterson. You said Lacey Gilbert, and that's Sarah Gilbert. Yes. You're thinking of I got Dad, Darlene. So you get zero, and you get one steal. If you know any of the three that he didn't name for this, he got Roseanne. If you can name, we said Gorenson, so name the character and you well, get a steal. Well, I mean, steal. he said Becky. He did say Becky. Hey, those are the rules of the game, so he gets it. Yes. Four for th- for Ray, three for Rob. So here we go. A lot of questions I left. wouldn't do that to you. A lot of questions. I, uh, some, of them, some of them don't have characters, so like sometimes they replace somebody and it wasn't sure. exactly the same character, so you can only get yeah. one additional point. Movie, 1990, George Hamilton. Uh, Zorro oh, the Gay no, Blade. It's, no, it's uh, Godfather Part 3. That's correct. He replaced Robert Duvall. That's correct. And that's all you can get. He's not the same character. Yeah. So, Movie, 2016, Liam Hemsworth. If a movie was made after 2000, I'm going to be a little lost. 2016, Liam Hemsworth. Cinema superstar. Would that have been one of the, uh, one of the, the uh, uh, things with Jennifer Lawrence, one of those movies? No, this was uh, Independence Day Resurgence. Oh, yeah. Was replacing Will Smith, who was too expensive. TV show, 1967, Eartha Kitt. Catwoman. Um, yes, Rob. And the other ones were Julie Newmar and Lee Merriweather. Well, Lee Merriweather was after, so I'm not going to give you that one. No. She was at, he was at the movie after. No, the movie was before. No, the movie like culminated after the movie. No, the movie was between the, started off right before the first season and it was used as a promotional thing. Wasn't it 64 to 66? Or mm-hmm. It was not 66 to 68. The yes. show was not on at 68. It was it, 64 to 66. I guarantee you that the, okay. the first right, Batman right. movie. I give you Lee Merriweather and the internet can bash and you. I'm going to be I'm honest wrong. with you. Lee Merriweather never did it on the television show. Julie Newmar and Eartha Kitt, but they lump right. her in because right. they think, yeah. All right, we got Rob with nine, Ray with four. Uh, a lot of game left, a lot of game left. Here we go. Movie, 2014, Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford replaced someone? Was the new replacing actor. I, I, I don't even know this one. This is The Expendables 3. Oh, my God. Bruce Willis. Bruce oh. Willis wanted. Of course, yes. Bruce Willis wanted millions and millions and millions of dollars to do like two days or something in Bulgaria. And Sylvester Stallone was like, fuck it, I'll just get Harrison Ford for a day. Harrison Ford was flying a plane around the world to film something else. And he was like, oh, if you go this way, you can just stop off, do like two days in this Eastern European country we are, and then just draw, fly on to your next gig. Okay. So he did it. So he replaced him. TV. 1993, Daphne Maxwell-Reed. Oh, uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Yes, that is correct for oh. one point. Are you going to go for any of the other two? Are you going to go for any of the other two? No, I know she replaced the mom on the show. Aunt. And Vivian. And Vivian. Okay, he's got two. Vivian Are you Banks. going for... No. Who the, okay. uh, who the original actress was? Correct. No. Okay, that I'm was stopping. Janet Hubert. Thank but you. you got two points there. 11, 11 points. But you can just sweep these last two, and it's great. And you're, you're going to crush I it. I love sweeping. Movie. <laughs> Put that broom down. I know I can't. <laughs> Movie. 1987. Kevin Peter Hall. Harry and the Hendersons. Revenge of the Nerds 2. No, that was uh, Predator. Uh, he did He did also play Harry, Harry, and, yeah, Harry and, and the Hendersons. But Jean-Claude Van Damme was the original Predator. That's right. And uh, yeah. yeah, he got booted off. And I didn't know that. TV, 1989, Barney Martin. Oh, Jerry Seinfeld's dad. 
Yes, that's correct. Morty. Mort Seinfeld. Yes. So this is two points for Rob. Rob, crushing it. Sweep away victory. Knows, knows, he knows how to replace actors. That's, uh, <laughs> that's what I do he's for a, a director. Yeah, that's for one thing Rob is good at. If you don't uh, crush it on day one, the read through at that table read, you're out. You're, you're gone. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to give you one. Yes, sir. 1987. Okay. Television. Okay. Christie Alley. Uh, oh, yes. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, Shelley uh, Duvall. No. No, Shelley. Shelley Long. Uh, Shelley Long. No. Well, and what, was, what were the characters' names? Diane. Diane what? Couldn't tell you. Alexander. No, okay, great. And then who what did, what, who did Christie Alley play? I don't know her name at all. Diane Chambers and Rebecca Howe. Nice. That's good. I should have put that one in there. That was a good one. That's a well, really good thanks, one. thanks, man. Mark, thank you so much. Well, we learned a lot today about people that can be easily replaced. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what can't be replaced? You. And the way we know that you can't be replaced is by you heading over to Patreon.com and giving us $5 a month. So that way we know that you're still here with us listening and supporting. Um, and Ray, where can they find us on social media? Oh, you can go to This Was A Thing Pod on our Instagram, or you can go to our website, www.thiswasthething.com. Find out all the stuff you want. Like what? Oh, you can find, you can get uh, video links to episodes, you can get uh, our article links to the episodes, you can get episode links to the episodes. So you can get links? Yeah. Ooh, I love sausages. Yeah. All right, bye everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to This Was a Thing, and a big thanks to the folks that keep this show running. Our editor, Daniel Cutcut Schwartzberg, our composer, Billy Better Than DC Reese, our social media director, Gabe Hashtag Crawford, our graphic designer, Natalie's Nothing Too Graphic DeSavia, and finally, our games coordinator, Mark the Shark Schroeder. If you liked what we did today, make sure to head on over to iTunes to rate and review us. The more stars you leave us, the more love we feel. Hey, speaking of love, show us some social media love. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at This Was A Thing Pod and Facebook we are This Was A Thing Podcast. Reach out, we'd love to hear from you. And if you really like what we did today, head on over to Patreon.com and become one of our sponsors and you'll get access to special episodes, interviews, and merch. That's Patreon. Search This Was A Thing and support us so we can keep doing this show. 